comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Erwick is gone, the canisters are gone, we've got nothing here. Damn it! Hello, you are now on a secure channel and ready to listen to 24, the Jack and Chloe Adventure Cast. This is a podcast focused on the Fox television series 24 and its new mini-season, Live Another Day. I am Aaron Newworth, writer for Wise of Blue and host of the film podcast out now with Aaron and Abe. And with me is also from Wise of Blue and the Naptown nerd, Brandon Peters. Hey, excited to be here. 24 has always been one of my favorites and pretty excited it's coming back. And from the young folks and Cinemaxwell, it is Maxwell Haddad. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a particular pleasure to re-team with these two fine gentlemen. The events of this podcast occur in real time. Um, so there you go. We this is that's that's the intro to what I hope is a very successful podcast where we talk about twenty four. Of course, you might know Brandon Maxwell and myself from the podcast, the Ichapod Cranecast, which recapped the other Fox Television series, Sleepy Hollow. Uh, we were big fans of that show, and um, we had so much fun doing that podcast that we realized we would love to continue doing this while that show is in its you know hiatus in between seasons and figured 24 is coming back why not do a podcast about 24 especially for a limited season such as this one yeah so this is this is basically episode zero um we are gonna essentially recap our thoughts on the the series as a whole leading up to this new kind of return of jack bauer and chloe o'brien of course this is the jack and chloe adventure cast and we're just going to kind of recap our, you know, our own opinions on the series of 24. We're going to, we've, we decided to split it into basically three episodes leading up to the premiere of the first episodes of Live, Live Another Day on uh, May, May 5th. Uh, Cinco de Mayo, Jack's back. And, uh, yeah, so this, uh, this first, uh, this first episode, we're going to focus on, uh, the first few seasons of 24. And, um, I'll let, uh, let Brandon. What you you kind of you kind of set up a, a structure for how we should base these initial podcast episodes on? You want to want to delve into that a bit? Yeah, um, the way I always seen twenty four is there's kind of like a been three separate arcs that kind of go together, and it's fitting like a lot of the same characters happen and a lot of their growth begin and end with like season one through three. We can call it the uh, the Nina Myers trilogy as she's a, a focal point um, villain through seasons one, two, and three. And a lot of the, the main cast here is together and only in this form through seasons one through three. The next section would be seasons four through six, which deal a lot with Jack and his relationship with Audrey Heller. And a lot of the characters that are inter- introduced in season four carry on throughout five and six, as well as our favorites coming back as well. But not, I mean, a lot of them are in just different capacities. And then the the final stretch would be the, the movie 24, was it Redemption? Yes. Yep. And season seven and eight, which deal with Jack outside of Los Angeles and uh, Cherry Jones' um, character of the president in office and kind of finished it off there and with a, another team from Washington, Washington-based team of like CTUS people that Jack teams with. Yeah, thanks for that. And um, I should, I guess, mention that this will be spoiler heavy for the series of 24 for those that haven't watched all of 24 i guess so be prepared for that of course when we actually get to the jack and Cl- the the jack and chloe we're jack and chloe when we get to the live another day season 
none of us have seen that season yet, so we'll only be spoiling up to you know the episode that we're that we're recapping. Um, but with that said, let's uh, before we get into kind of this first the, for the Nina Meyer trilogy, the first three seasons, and our thoughts on those. Let's go over kind of our thoughts on Twenty Four as a series in general, uh, just because this is our first episode, and people are like, "Why are you guys talking about Twenty Four? Well, here's the answer to that. So um, let's start with Maxwell. Maxwell, what do you think of the series of Twenty Four in general? What are your thoughts? I think Twenty Four um, is really sort of a, a seminal series of the aughts, um, as it were. I think when I look back at that decade in television, there are a couple of, of shows that define um, what was going on on television, particularly network television, because obviously cable was doing its own thing, in terms of the structure of series, um, the reliance on heavy serialization, which, you know, 24 was more serialized than any show, probably in the history of television. Um and beyond that, I, I thought it was, for the most part, quite excellent. It was structurally risky, but it always brought um, the the characters and emotions to back it up. I always enjoyed, um, you know, spy uh, movies and and TV shows, and I, I think that that played in that realm quite nicely. And it was also a, a thoughtful meditation on post nine eleven America. You know, this show started right around that time and as it went on it became more and more influenced by the politics and moral quandaries that we as americans were faced with after those terrible attacks um the way that our uh security agencies and 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 spy agencies handled things the and particularly of note the way it dealt with terrorism obviously throughout its run it was faced with a lot of scrutiny about its depiction of terrorism and um, torturing of suspects. But because of that, I found it to be more than just an exciting action show, which it was, but, you know, a lot of the time, intellectually satisfying show as well. I watched, um, you know, I've seen every episode. I watched it live starting with season two. I didn't quite catch on the bandwagon, but luckily in the early 2000s, that's when shows, you know, pretty much came out on DVD, you know, the summer after their season completed, so it was easy to catch up. And uh, I'm thrilled it's back and thrilled to be discussing it. Thanks, Maxwell. I'll go uh, next. I love 24, even when the seasons weren't at like their, the height of how great that series could be, which I think it certainly has contained in the first season, and we'll get to the other seasons and our thoughts on those. But I, I always enjoyed this show. I never thought there was a bad season of 24. I certainly thought there were ones that were kind of lesser than it was capable of. But nothing was... Few, few things in terms of kind of media viewing on a weekly basis were more exciting to me than to watch 24 when it was on during its initial run. I'd always I'd gather some of my friends together. I was in college during a good portion of it, I guess during four years of it, and uh, we'd be we'd be we'd be, be sitting around the TV watching 24 when it came on on Fox, and uh, we'd be super excited, we'd be super into it, we'd be yelling at the TV or whatnot. We'd just be a very interactive experience, which always made it a lot of fun. Um, I I. I really enjoy what Kiefer Sutherland brings as the character Jack Bauer, who, of course, has this kind of legacy that's both Superman-ish in quality and and just fun and exciting and, like, challenging in terms of what they put this character through and what how the series manages to stay grounded while also going to outlandish lengths at times. Um, all of these things just make a show that I just find very entertaining. I love the structural format. I love the way it has this what started as a gimmick but was able to turn into a year-by-year raising of the stakes even as things got 
more outlandish or maybe went off the rails at times. It never it never went too far to, for me to not enjoy the series for what it was. And it at times had a lot of elements that twisted the format around or made it shocking or made wise decisions in terms of how to handle certain characters. Like all these things just made it a show that I was always excited to watch. This and I guess lost in terms of kind of like shows I was just always excited to watch when it would come on on the day opposed to waiting for it. Because I know a lot of people for 24 and a lot, like those shows in particular, those are shows that people would sometimes just wait for the seasons to come out so they can watch it all in one. I was geared up to watch it week by week, and that's... For a series like that, that's uh, it's impressive. It's for a series that lasted, what, seven seasons? Seven, eight seasons? Eight seasons, you know, and a movie. Uh, take that, community, right? Uh, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, um... All right, let's... Uh, uh, Brandon, what are your thoughts on the, the series in general? I mean, you guys have covered a lot of it. Um... To me, it's it's a, it's a top show of all time for me. Like, uh, especially when it's at its best. I, I thought during times when Twenty Four was really cooking, it was watching an episode of that a week was better than going to the movies for the most part. I mean, it was really exciting, suspenseful, shocking, and I'm a I'm a serial guy. I grew up on like you know watching old movie serials back in the. Uh, like Batman's and Captain America's and Flash Gordon stuff. And the fact that it was heavily serialized and there was always that clip hanging hook to, you know, get me to the next week was just something I endeared and I loved about it. Um, one thing that attracted me to it other than the concept was that Kiefer Sutherland was going to be on it. And he was a, he was a movie person and taking a role in a TV show was like, well, there got to be more to this. And I mean, he wasn't a huge star at the time, but he was a somebody that you would think, would be above TV, and maybe he kind of opened the door for more movie actors to take TV roles at the time. But um, there were serialized shows at the time of Twenty Four, but nothing as heavily as Twenty Four. And it, it along with like Lost and Alias, and like Buffy was still going at the time, like started pioneering this new era of serialized television, which I think got a little too happy on the serialization and forgot about character and was more focused on an event rather than the people surrounding it. But it, it led to a time in TV where everything was serialized, which was kind of cool. Um, but a lot of shows got canceled after one season and lost interest. Um, fun story, <laughs> me and um, a person, if you listen to HHWLG podcasts, um, who guests, uh, Scott Mendelson and I, uh, Forbes writer Scott Mendelson and I went when I first moved in L.A., there was a screening at the uh, Chinese Six, not the actual Chinese theater, of season one of 24, um, the whole first season Whoa. for 24 huh. hours. Huh. And Scott and I went and we watched the whole thing. The, the, the cast was supposed to stop by in the middle of the night after a shoot and visit. That didn't happen. Um, we found that out like after episode one. Um, then they said John Kassar was going to come and do a Q&A in the middle of the night. Um that didn't happen, um, so we got free popcorn, energy drinks, and they gave away a plasma. But John, I, John, John Kassar was the uh, director of most a lot of the episodes. Was he a showrunner as well, or just? Uh... Um, I think he just directed a lot of season one, um, and okay. and came back throughout the series. Yes, but he was a big time director of season one. He's directing a lot of episodes in the upcoming season as well. I yes. think he could be credited at, at the very least with defining the visual style for and, sure. Yeah, the uh, feel of the show. But um, a lot of funny things, um, when you see it on the big screen, it, you can tell it wasn't meant to be on the big screen because you can see a lot of crew people in certain shots and stuff <laughs> that you wouldn't, for some reason, normally see. But, yeah, it was 
all in all, it was fun. It was worth it. Um, never been in a movie theater that long before, but uh, it was cool. But so that my fandom takes me there. Um, there are seasons I am not particularly fond of, but I still think the show was incredibly watchable. I thought it a cool thing about it is it managed to it, at one point became kind of a parody of itself, but managed to regroup and come back and take itself seriously again, which was cool. I'm sure I'll have deeper thoughts on each season as we go, but I love the show. And um, I will admit that in college, a roommate of mine and I, he had never seen the show. We did watch the first season over 24 hours. It's oh. like that. If, if you watch them on like the DVDs and stuff, people just like roll through them because you can't stop. Yeah, we kind of just sat there and then we reflected negatively back upon our decision to do as such, but... <laughs> See, I can't binge watch for that amount of time. Like, I, I recently rewatched the first season, but it was only like two episodes at a time at mo- maybe some one time three. But I, I just, I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> That's just I, well, I mean, if you think at the time, like, I think 24 is in Lost. They're responsible for my heavier dose of TV watching. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I watched as many shows when they were first coming out, and because of them, I started wanting more to find more shows to watch and. I became a bigger TV addict because of shows like 24 and Lost. Because it's you know like that drug you want that you want you know that high again and you keep searching and you can't just I, like I think, just like season three Jack Bauer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting to note as long as we're sort of reflecting on the overall impact of the series before we delve a little uh, deeper into the first couple of seasons that as Brandon said and I kind of touched on a little bit the 2000s were a time where you know almost everything on TV, on network television, was heavily serialized. A lot of that had to do with this show and Lost, and then there was kind of the the bubble that burst to the point that you had shows like actually called The Event, talking about favoring (laughs) events over characters. And now if you look at the hour-longs on network TV, it's almost as if we've... I don't necessarily mean to use the word regress to, you know give a negative connotation to all the series, but you have a lot more of a return to police procedurals with shows like Chicago Fire and Chicago PD. Um, Even almost almost human, which has a, uh, it's quite the premise in terms of like what it's trying to do and with futuristic societies, but still is heavily focused on being a uh, procedural drama. There's more of a balance now, I think. Yeah, I agree. You have shows like the, whether or not you think it's good, the following, which is all about serialization and stuff like that, but then you still have, you know, more NCIS spinoffs, and you have Hawaii Five O, and all this stuff that sort of returned back to the television of the early to mid-90s. I think the problem was, too, they all wanted to be the next Lost, the next 24, the next this, and, yeah. and they, weren't, they didn't have their own identity, and I think they've just gone back to, hey, we have good characters, and a good enough hook and story, people are going to watch regardless, you know, serialized or not. I mean... Definitely. And I also think as, as cable TV has, you know, more and more cable networks are now producing really good scripted dramas, most of which are not procedurals, that the networks have sort of reasserted themselves as the place where you can come for um, procedurals that you don't have to necessarily see every episode of, whereas on cable, you know, it's 10 or 13 episodes and you have to watch everything. So as the paradigm has shifted, network has balanced itself out. As a, as a more relaxed place. It's, Again, not to impugn all those shows. There's some really good shows, but... It's it's funny you mentioned the 10 or 12 episode thing, because this, this mini season of Live Another Day is only 12 episodes, and 
while it's you know obviously it's fun to be like oh we got 24 episodes of 24 it makes me curious of how well the tightness of a season like this for a show like this that has a very established format will play out and it excites me about it really because i think we'll have a big a big chance to kind of have enough work done on these characters while also telling a very contained story that could make for a really exciting uh uh season of television on a show that's you know determined to constantly excite you based on its structure i mean there's no doubt even in the best seasons of 24 their shagginess simply by doing 24 episodes in which each episode is one hour of the day there were certain events that or certain uh you know if it's a video game certain side missions that jack bauer had to accomplish that weren't pivotal towards the the main uh, threat of the day that with this new structure could be removed. Yeah, sure. and we'll, as we'll see in season one, there is, I mean, sometimes where, you know, this person's in the cast, so, and they're on payroll, so you gotta do something with them, and the storyline just kinda goes, huh? Like, feels waste of time-ish. Yeah. Because you gotta fill the, the episode order. It's tough, I mean, I personally believe that, you know, between 10 and 13 is a sweet spot if you wanna have a continuing story. I think 22 or 24 is great for sitcoms or yeah. or a procedural, but the most successful, you know, say even Lost in its later seasons was doing, you know, 14 or 15 episodes, not the full 22. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting how 24 had so much of an impact on television and how it's changed since it's been off the air and now it's returning and it's being influenced by other shows, sort of everything coming full circle. All right. So with that, let's uh, let's move on. Let's get to our kind of our dissection of the first three seasons. Of course, this won't be. We, we can't extend this too long because I mean, there's that's uh, there's my quick math not working for me. Oh, it's twenty four times three. Seventy <laughs> two. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's that's seventy two hours of television uh, that we have to put into mainly like what maybe a half an hour, but we'll do our best. Before we get to that, though, let me uh, quickly say that we have a number of things related to our podcast uh, that people can, you know, like, sign up for, and you know, uh, respond to. Uh, we have our uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash jcadventurecast, twitter.com slash jcadventurecast, and an email. Guess what? It's jcadventurecast at gmail.com. Um, so anyone can uh, follow, like those pages. They can send us their thoughts on 24 and whatnot. We'll recap that at the end, but I just want to throw it out there right now that this podcast, we, as opposed to the Ichabod Crane cast, where we had a lot of fun doing it, but was certainly hastily made, we got things set up a little bit better this time around. So, uh, you know, feel free to uh, get in on the fun early, as I'd like to say. So Yeah, and uh, perhaps we'll be able to set up a voicemail box as well. We do. We actually do have a voicemail line. Excellent. It is, um, yeah, we have a, a kind of master feed for all the HHW LOD podcast shows, which includes this show and the Ichapod Cranecast and the Walking Dead TV podcast, all the podcasts available on that network. The number is 972-798-3830. 972-798-3830. You can... You call that line, there'll be a message that plays, you just indicate that you want to talk about this show, 24, the Jack and Chloe Adventure Cast, and uh, yeah, we'll probably receive that message, and if it's some kind of question or something, we can play it on the show, we can respond and whatnot, we'll have a lot of fun with it. So yeah, if you're a big fan of 24, looking forward to the season, that's a that's a good way to kind of reach out to us as well, and we'd love to get voicemails, it's always fun to kind of diversify the different voices we hear on this show and uh, how we approach it. Okay. So of all that, and there should be, of course, if you're listening to this, it's likely because the iTunes feed has been set up. But in the case that it hasn't, or it's only available on the HHWLD master feed, 
there will be a 24 The Jack and Chloe Avenger cast feed coming very soon to iTunes. I think I got all the red tape out of the way, so let's get into this now. Um, so yeah, let's uh, talk about the the uh, kind of the Nina Myers trilogy. It's weird to say that just because that's technically a spoiler for the season for the series because spoilers for season one. Nina Meyer is a mole. Um, that is something we learn at the very end of season one of Twenty Four. Um, watching, having watched it again, the hints are there. Like it's very clever in the way that they uh, plant the seeds for that giant reveal, which was a giant reveal at its time. Um, but then that, of course, carries over to giant. the yeah, giant. Of course, that carries over to the the second and third season. Second, mainly due to kind of the repercussions it has on Jack as a character. And third, because well, we reached the end of Nina Myers. Um, but with that said, let's uh, quickly. How many times have we watched season one of Twenty Four? I've watched it twice in full and like bits and pieces of it when it comes on TV every so often. I think I've seen it like four times, at least. I would say, I'd say two and a half. Definitely two all the way through, and then again, I've I've seen a lot of it, but not all the way through for a third time. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, in it's regards. Kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, go go. I was just gonna say it's kind of interesting to sort of start at the end and, and work your way back because you bring up obviously the the big reveal at the end that Nina Myers is a mole and she in fact kills Jack's wife. Yeah. Which, you know, when you first start it's not something you would ever contemplate but like you said the clues are there and it was almost an unheard of at the time now you take character deaths and 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 reveals to people being evil as almost secondhand in tv because everybody's doing stuff like that but at the time in what was it been may of 2002 Mm -hmm. gosh talk about a bombshell it's the kind of thing too where you because it comes at the end of the season where you if you've been following 24 and you certainly you know are into what's these characters it's kind of, it's a, I mean, all the things that those characters have went through, and that's the kind of result, this very somber ending, where, like, the lead character lost the one, one of the, the one of two people he was trying to desperately save for the, you know, the past 23 hours of the series. Well, I, yeah. I think it's, um, it's necessary to note that with the first season, the way it was written was that the first 13 episodes could work as a distinct... Yeah, in case it got canceled. Right, and so if you watch episode 13... You know, Jack rescues his his wife and daughter who were kidnapped in the in the in the pilot, and you know there's a sort of a happy ending until you know other events, particularly the you know assassination attempt on David Palmer worsens. Um, so you've already sort of felt that relief earlier on in the season. Yay, his wife's okay, and then nine later, nine episodes later, shit, she's not okay anymore. <laughs> Well, there's also there was also another mole found earlier in the season that was like, okay, that's the mole. So it was it was a shocker to have a second mole within CTU because there was Jamie, I believe her name was, yes, that ended up. It looked like a suicide early on, but it ended up being Nina, who slit her wrist. But she was actually a mole, a forced forced mole because they had her daughter hostage or something. Right, I, I believe for, I forgot that too because I when I rewatched it's like oh yeah she like not that she was a mole like I kind of figured I kind of remembered she was a mole but the fact that she like not only like there was there a, su- a suicide thing but it was actually a horrific murder that happened in the yes it's, well, it's it's go ahead well I was gonna say there also is the shocker of of Jack's boss biting it in, in episode two mm-hmm. who was played by a relatively well known uh, television actor I can't remember his name but. He appears in a lot of things, but he, you know, he got often in a cool little shootout in episode two, which... 
was there's, another kind of shocking thing. There's something to get into right there. The action on this. This is, you know, an action show. That's I mean, it's obviously about, you know, spies and it's a it's a thriller, but there's a lot of action in 24 as a series and season 1 in particular has a number of for the budget it has, given that it's probably a lower budgeted series than the pre the following seasons were, but it has a lot of good action in it. I regard the the finale, the twenty where Jack Bauer is going up against Dennis Hopper and his goons, as one of the best action sequences I've ever seen on television. Like, I oh think yeah, it's phenomenal. Where yeah, that's a terrific. Where he finds out he thinks his daughter's dead, and he just goes out and yeah, guns blazing, John Woo style without slow motion, essentially. <laughs> where uh, yeah, with Dennis Hopper, you moose and squirrel. Dennis Hopper is super Russian in these in the yes. 24. And there's some creepy stuff revolving around those guys. Just just them hanging out just makes you feel uneasy when they pick up Dennis Hopper. For sure. Yeah. And that that actually brings me to another thing. This uh, because of what Dennis Hopper's plot revolves around, it was it uh the assassination of, of uh, president but of presidential candidate David Palmer. David Palmer. Um uh, Dennis Haysbert um who plays pretty much an equally large role as Jack Bauer does in this first season of 24. As much mm-hmm. focus as there is on Jack Bauer and his struggle to, you know, find his family, Senator Palmer is dealing with a lot that day, and not just people, you know, shooting at him. It's There's a whole drama involving uh, report, uh, reporters bringing up uh, past accusations against his son and how he deals with that when you get to establish, like, his morality and uh, put him through a series of events that uh, basically upturn his life leading up to this election, where his wife is revealed to not be as on the level as uh, as uh, he'd wish he was and things like that. So it, it's, uh, a, a, we won't, because there's not much to talk about in terms of Chloe, even though this is the Jack and Chloe adventure cast. Well, uh, yeah. until, Chloe's not even in the first yeah, season. Yeah, she doesn't come until three. So it's season three, yeah, so we have a while to get to her. So really, it's the Jack and David show, um, and, which is something I really like. I really, I, um, David Palmer, in terms of kind of like uh, fictional president characters, I, I put him fairly high in the... Yeah, and, and I mean, Haysbert really, like, he, that role has just stuck to him because it's hard to see him not as, like, an authoritative, like, presidential figure. He was so good he on 24. He brings to it. Yeah. And just he feels I... so real and experience. Like, he, he just, like, exudes experience that just feels genuine. Certainly. I agree. And, you know... At the time, too, to to have this character be an African American with, and I think I've heard you say this before, Aaron. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but um, seeing that character on TV for so many years sort of might have, in some subconscious way, helped shift certain people's perceptions to make it uh, more uh, acceptable to vote in Mr. Barack Obama as president. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of a, it's a broad way to put it, but yeah, I certainly have that thought like it it's a, a familiarization with with that kind of presence of that kind of person it's I, not that it like single-handedly made it happen but i mean it, no, it's course. something it's something that's there i think and yeah and you mentioned um kind of hard to shake the role of, of david palmer brandon and um i think it's dude like someone like morgan freeman you already know who morgan freeman is before he plays god or before he plays a president or before he plays whatever Dennis Haysbert, it's he's certainly been an actor in other th- in other media, but he's not a person that has like had roles of this kind of stature or that have had roles of this kind of impact. And so seeing him as a, a presidential figure, it's hard to think of. Well, he man, he's always going to be that like fry cook and heat to me. Like that's not going <laughs> to like it's it's. When I someone, mean, he was like his notable role before this. I mean, like. Iconic role, not iconic, but he was in the major league movies. Yes, that's a, that yeah. was probably his most notable 
of like, oh, Dennis Haysbert, you know. And even then, it's obviously the same person, but they don't really look like he he doesn't resemble that. You don't look at I don't look at David Palmer and think of uh, God. I can't think of his name. It's like um, what's it in Major League? That's <laughs> killing me. Pedro, Pedro Serrano. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> You look at his character in Major League, and you look at Dan, uh, at, as in his President Palmer, and Serrano doesn't really resemble David Palmer that much. You might get the voice will certainly do it, but even then he has like an accent. So it's, I mean, it's, and that's you know also a movie that's that was '89. So there's there's at least ten years between this and its first and its sequel or whatever. So I mean, there's, it, I think it's easy for Aceberg to shake that kind of persona and bring on this new persona as you know. President David Palmer and not lose that because it's a president. <laughs> it's uh, even Martin yeah. Sheen or Bill Bill Pullman who played president once in a movie from um, from almost twenty years ago. <laughs> like it's they're, well, they're, they're and, the kind of roles that stick. Then Pullman played the president on that short-lived television program. We don't need to talk yes. about that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think not to um, not say that uh, Haysbert's work as David Palmer wasn't fantastic and sort of you know, reassessed his career. Um, but when you play it, when you star in a television show and you are in people's homes every week as the same character, that perception sticks. Mm -hmm. So same thing with, with Kiefer Sutherland, you know, he's done some movies, he had another TV show, but he hasn't shaken Jack Bauer post 24 in any way, shape or form. For sure. Correct. I mean, he starred in a, in a couple action movies. He was in Melancholia. And he was, you know, but he's still, I'm going to look at him and I think Jack Bauer first. And then I think, you know, his ridiculous performance in Dark City second. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's funny. He's in a lot. Of, I know him more for kind of cult movies like that. Lost yeah, he was Boys. A he was a weird uh, actor before this. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. Yeah, this, this, is... it, this put him in the mainstream and made him, you know, I, Brandon, you said earlier that you enjoyed watching 24 almost more than going to the cinema at times. You know, and if you look at the '90s and '80s, our our best action heroes were often on on the the silver screen. But in the 2000s, I would argue the besides Jason Bourne, the best action hero was Jack Bauer. No, it was. It was. It, there was a kind of a like because Arnold wasn't doing movies. Slides were going straight to video. The new action stars weren't really like hitting the, the with rock, audiences. The Rock and Vin the Diesel rock, refused Vin to do Diesel action movies outside of a few things. Statham was yeah. the only guy and he found his niche and did these like, you know, Euro trash movies, which were good, yeah. but Yeah, I mean Statham I mean he's the hardest working action guy that nobody goes to see. I mean we we all watch his movies <laughs> probably at home. I mean I like what he does, but I never got a rush out. is very consistent. He has a legion of fans that that, yeah. that amounts amounts to about thirty million. It seems he's just a, de he's a decade late. Like if he would have been in the nineties, he'd be, you know, big time star. But you know, he if you go to movies and stuff, and you like action movies, you know who he is, and he excites you if he's in a movie. But he's not gonna he's not gonna add twenty million padding to any any movie that he goes to. But so with that said, yeah, Jack Bauer certainly stands very high among the kind of new age of action of action heroes that you you know recall right away on the tel on the television no less you know kind of unconventional casting because i never thought of Kiefer sutherland as an action guy but when you watch him there's something about the voice or and the straight, posture, straight guy <laughs> that was the intensity he brings to it is just he really you know throughout all eight seasons but especially in the first season where you know it was untested waters he was able to both carry the action, but he brought like this emotional connection as well, particularly because what Jack is dealing with in the first season, in those first 13 episodes, especially is so personal. 
you know, having your your wife and, and daughter kidnapped. And that was really a big hook was was watching Kiefer Sutherland go through this and then be able to just kick ass on his way towards rescuing them. It's impressive because you watch that first season and he looks decidedly younger than he does in the other pre- the um, the following seasons. Obviously, it was made first and he ages, but at the same time there's a less of a hardened quality to Jack Bauer as a person that's obviously based on events that happen in this season and the following seasons where you know things just get worse and worse including well, and it, taken away it, for torture losing loved ones losing people he cares about like all those things it, it, you see this first season and he has a kind of almost a boyish look to him and it it's a it's it, it's a it's a good it's a good casting call of having someone like Sutherland who not obviously not a, a romantic lead in movies but also not a you know tough guy action hero either he's he's just a guy yeah, I mean, his biggest troubles in season one are fixing his marriage and uh, the fact that he snitched on a bunch of people at at work. That's about, you know, there's not, that's the weight that he comes in with. Yeah. Anything else from uh, season one you want to touch on before we jump to about the, the next? Uh, about the, the Young Guns reunion? Yeah, with Lou Diamond later Phillips. In the, later in the season. Uh, yeah, I think brief, yeah, there is that, the, the couple episodes of Lou Diamond Phillips who plays kind of the... Excuse me. He's like the watch at a like a high security prison, right? Is that like basically his position? Yeah, yeah. It's like some secret facility that has Dennis Hopper getting transferred to it. It's funny how like invested I was in Lou Diamond Phillips in like one episode because <laughs> I felt so bad when he gets shot at the end of the second episode. He's in. <laughs> yes. Where I'm like, no, and Jack's like, no, and I'm like, yeah, Jack, right? Like, <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> when 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 I was at the the marathon with with Scott and. Um, that when Lou Diamond Phillips came, when he got introduced, there was a there was a good ovation for him, for some reasons. Like we've all seen this, right? Like it's a surprise. <laughs> there's but. there's a number of characters that we can bring up in season two just to move on, but there's only one that's you know not going to be returning, and that's Leslie Hope as Terry Bauer. Uh, so quick thoughts on Terry Bauer before we get to the second season. She was good till they got to the amnesia storyline, and I just kind of felt a little rote and tired, and like, well, we have to give them some sort of conflict to have very much agree yeah <laughs> right i guess the other quick thing i would touch on with season one as long as we're talking about terry is the thing about the fact that nina is the one who kills her is that you know we learn you know at some point earlier in the season that jack and nina had a relationship um at some point um which just well, they makes, were separate yeah well him and his wife were separated right which makes the betrayal hurt all the deeper of course in in this in this season Nina's with the illustrious uh, Tony Almeida, played by Carlos Bernard, who had become a you know a major character as the series progressed. Yeah, well, yeah, Tony with the soul patch, and he's huh. the uh, he's a he's a red herring, or he's a red herring in this season. Yeah, to- <laughs> Tony goes through quite a bit throughout the course of twenty four, and uh, we also see our first appearance of um, the great uh, Aaron Pierce. Yes, yes. in the hey. first. Season. That is between my friend, my friend Lauren and I are huge fans of what Glenn Morshower brings as Aaron Pierce. <laughs> yes, if I'm not mistaken, Aaron Pierce and Jack Bauer are the only two characters to appear in every season of 24. That's correct. Yes, that is Which correct. Leads me to wonder if Glenn Morshower will be making an appearance in Live Another Day. I I hope. I, yeah. like, I, it's the kind of thing where I don't want to look into it just because I don't want to be spoiled at the same time. There's no, I don't want to be spoiled either. I yeah, just... I want him to be like that surprise phone call Jack makes. Yeah, just and... like just like Reginald Bell Johnson in Die Hard Two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Glenn Morshar has done a lot of work since then, but 
I'll always think of him as Aaron Pierce. Even when I go down to uh, Universal Studios and you wait in line for the Transformers ride and he's right there in the queue telling you to gear up, I'm like, damn straight, Aaron Pierce. I'm going to go fight these Transformers. I, uh, I, when I did that ride for the first time, finally, I Instagrammed that picture because I was so excited that Aaron Pierce was here to introduce me to the Transformers ride. Awesome. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on to season two. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this one, this season's a little bit of a step down. Yeah. Um, a bit. It's it's still inter- highly entertaining, watchable, and it's just it's some things they just didn't like. Kim Bauer. This is. I mean, I'm going to sound cliched, but this is the the Kim versus the Cougar season. Yeah. The, where they just had no game. idea what to do with her and kept putting her in ridiculous different dangers. Like first she's she's uh, deals with a. Um, a spousal abuser who winds up killing his wife, and she's running from him. Um, then she uh, she gets winds up in a bunker or like a Y two K nutball that's Kevin Dillon trying to keep her there. Uh, then she fights the cougar, and then she goes to a grocery store that gets held up, and she also gets told her father's dead when he's not. Um, so let's let's talk about Kim a little bit. Alicia Cuthbert, who's since been a, a, quite the comedic talent on Happy Endings, which was unfortunately yes. canceled. Um, do you think anything has to do with her performance in this role, or just the the, the writing of her character? It's the writing. I, I've never had a problem with her. I, I didn't agree. have a problem with yeah. her in season one, and I and um, this is the only season where I mean this, yeah, this was probably at the worst. And I and I welcomed her returns when she would come back later in the series. She's uh, certainly been her integrated. It seems, if anything, like it was a contractual obligation to keep yes. Kim Bauer involved in the series, and that just it completely messed things up in terms of how do we stretch this out because there's other important things going on that have nothing to do with the Bauer family this season. It's a lot of stuff that doesn't occur on TV nowadays. For, yeah. Where you have someone on payroll and they have to be in every episode, or they have to be in a huge percentage of episodes. Like nowadays, your contract is, well, we can kill you. And there's no big fine, you know, because yeah. I think there was there was something different with contracts back then where if you kill someone off, you're probably paying them for the full season. Whereas I think now you can be opt at any time. And it's well, it's funny you mentioned like I don't want to go too far off, but some people had issues with the last season of Game of Thrones concerning a certain character that was tortured for a majority of the season where you didn't necessarily need that many episodes featuring torture from a, what was most likely a contractual obligation required him to be in a good number of episodes. I mean, it it can go here or there, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But There's yeah, that, too, but yeah. I, I think with Game of Thrones, with that particular scenario, if you're making that show, you probably aren't noticing that as much as the audience. Because it probably feels yeah, like you need to touch yeah, up on sure. it. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, I think it's, it's a little different, too. I mean, I understand the point you're making, Aaron, but at least as far as that plot thread in Game of Thrones, you know, it wasn't as if... Um, unnamed character was, you know, you know, seen in an episode just like picking daisies, and then in the next episode, like in a boat. Yeah, you know? for sure. There's certainly there's source material to go back on. There's context to apply what that season's certainly. character was. I think we'll, we'll, we'll save that for Ned Stark's headcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's funny how since season two of Twenty Four aired, Kim versus the Cougar has become this like way of describe like. Sort of had jumped the shark from Happy Days being yes. uh, an o- overused, if I may say, way of saying a show isn't as good as it used to be. I don't think people even use the term. They don't the even sh- know where it comes from. They don't even they don't know, know where, where it comes from, from, and they don't use it properly. Yeah. Uh, 
But regardless, Kim versus the the Cougar has become sort of a new way of describing uh, ridiculously unnecessary plot threads to pad time in TV shows. Mm-hmm. And look, it's terrible. I mean, I like Alicia Cuthbert. I like Kim Bauer. I think she's a good character. I think she grounds Jack in a way even his romantic interests throughout the series don't. Um, and I like their relationship, but it's just really bad. And it's a shame because, you know, beyond Kim and a couple other things, there's some great stuff in yeah. season two. You know, we meet Michelle Dessler, who becomes important. And probably my favorite uh, stuff in the season, uh, at least the most uh, emotionally satisfying, has to do with George Mason. Yes. Yes, George Mason. I love Xander Berkeley. He's one of my favorite character actors. And I just love the transformation of a guy who's a dick to someone who you really just you love him in season two, and then he goes away. Well, that, you know, that was sort of a really well-accomplished character arc. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it, it, uh, just because we're spoiling it, why not talk about it all in full? You get this uh, basically a subplot where the director of CTU, George Mason, is exposed to radiation, and that 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 allows him to be, you know, humanized in a sense because he gets to, he has a basically a subplot where it allows him to say goodbye to his son. He copes with this kind of death feeling and he even saves Jack Bauer who is put in, who, where Jack Bauer is put in a position where he's basically has to dispose of a nuclear bomb, a nuclear bomb. I assume it's a nuclear. It's always a nuclear bomb, right? Um, he's been, I don't he, think it's, it's not necessarily nuclear. It's just there's whatever. bombs planted around. Big bomb. Got to stop that bomb. Got to get that bomb. GGTBB. Um, Got to get that bomb. He has to stop this bomb. The only way to do it is of course to fly some plane out to the mountains where it's like away from everybody. And George Mason shows up in the plane and bombs it himself because he's gonna die anyway. Like it's the kind of thing <laughs> like, yeah, that's amazing. George Mason saves the day. Yeah, it was pretty great. I, re- I remember watching it and just being it's a kind of like a influx of varying emotions, but ultimately just satisfying. Like such a satisfying moment. He was he um, was such a fun character. I mean he had this sense of humor that just worked. It works through season one, and then he's kind of like, you know, hero. It gives more of a hero arc season two, and it's just, yeah, it's satisfying, but, man, I like the guy. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Sarah Winter, uh, who plays Kate Warner? For sure. Uh, real quick okay. question again. We didn't do this. Who, how many people, How many times have you guys watched season two? I've watched it once. I haven't seen Twice. it since uh, 2002 to three. <laughs> I think either two or three times. I've seen it twice. Okay. So, yeah, let's go into the other characters. Yes, Kate Warner, played by Sarah Winter. Um, she Is she already with Jack? Or is she, like, they start to get together during the season? Is that They, they start to get together because um, she gets pulled in because she thinks her brother-in-law or future brother-in-law is working with a terrorist cell when it ends up being her sister, played by Laura Harris, and probably her most notable role. Besides the faculty. Besides the faculty, something big for her. Um, uh, and it ends up being her, and then she gets she gets pulled into the whole scenario, and Jack, I think, does he rescue her or meets her at CTU? Is that when that starts? Because they weren't together at the beginning of the season. No, yeah, they were not together. Jack was like, Jack was Jack was out of it, right? He was just kind of yeah. like grizzled guy watching his daughter from a distance and being like, why can't I do anything right? Like, yeah, he wasn't even, he was retired from CTU. Yes. yes. Yeah. He only starts out working at CTU in like two seasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only, every other one is the, oh, they pulled me back in type storyline. But yeah. every, every, uh, yeah, every season... I think one in three, he starts out working at CTU, and that's it. How does he... 
So, does someone like know the exact details of what he does in like the opening episodes that like really pulls him back into CT? Like he does something pretty grisly, as I recall. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember the specifics, but I, I think it's the first episode of this season or the second. I think it's the first. He has a beard, right? Yeah. Yep. And he's in an interrogation room with someone who he has to interrogate, and the episode ends with him saying, "I'm gonna need a hacksaw." Yes, like because he like just like kills the guy. Yeah. Right off the bat, and he's going to cut off his hand, I think. Yeah, he cuts off his hand. I, You know, I forgot to mention this also. Terry Bauer, who died in the first season, she was pregnant. Um, she, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> which makes it doubly horrible for Jack Bauer. Um, this is true. Uh, we yeah. can also talk about Sherry Palmer's heavily involved Let's, in this season. Yes, we can. And uh, she is a person who was fun to hate. Yes. She, yes. She, like, oh, she was so good. Um and she's like, because she had done wheelings and dealings with um, Jigsaw, who yeah, was so, so the, the villain. Um, to spoil two things at once, but uh, who ends up being the main villain of season two? But uh, yeah, she's heavily involved with scandalous stuff, and like you never, yeah, you never trust Jerry Palmer. She's always got like seedy little connections and stuff. She's everything David Palmer isn't. Yeah, in season two, she is David Palmer's ex-wife, and she's only in like the. I think she's in like the second half of the season, right? Like I think she's, she's in thirteen episodes, but she does get listed in the main cast, which yeah. brings to the she, question why they didn't just put Kim in you know less episodes. Anyways, she, yeah, she, David, uh, Palmer? David Palmer. He's uh he's elected at this point. He's, he's yeah. elected at this point. Um, we get the delicious uh, Mike Novick. Mike was another character I always liked on this show. Uh, yes. He brought to well, that, it. That actor, Jude, uh, how do you say his last name? Chickalella? Yeah. Sure. He has, there's something about his his eyes that I find intriguing. Sort of almost like a, a Forrest Whitaker-esque eye thing going on. Well, one thing I find funny about him was he was on this show, and then you go see Sin City, and you're like, whoa! It's the same guy. Because he played that muscle-bound uh, guy who... Uh, doesn't he, isn't he like a heavy in that Sin City? Yeah, Leibowitz. Big chested, hairy chested. Yeah. Such a drastic departure from Mike Novick. Oh, we also have uh, Michelle Forbes in this season who gets murdered by Mike Novick. God, I forgot about that completely. <laughs> and, but, and, and yet somehow we forgive and root for Mike Novick in later seasons. Yes. She pushes her over the stairwell and she, cause she gets onto the, the, uh, conspiracy. Or there's this conspiracy going on against David Palmer, right? Because he gets impeached, e... or something. Or he, he doesn't gets... get impeached at the end of the season. Get... Well, some they provoke uh, evoke some amendment where the vice president who they're trying to they want they really war hungry or something. He faced there's some traitors in his cabinet and they try to yeah. get him out of power. That's the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um... He gets put in a room for quite some time, and um, the guy from uh, Buffy. He gets killed in this during a huge interrogation, right? Which? Uh, uh, the guy who was the head of the Watcher Council, Buffy. I can't remember his name. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I know who you're talking about. He's got the map on his head in Cutthroat Island. Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, That's a call. Uh, okay. Harris, Harris Eulen, right? Harris Eulen, yes. He gets brought in because um, I believe he was... He was, spoilers, uh, killed on Buffy and uh, at 8 o'clock that evening and showed up on his first episode of 24 at 9. <laughs> <laughs> Should we uh, maybe just touch a little bit on uh, Ryan Chappelle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
We didn't talk about him in season one, but I think he has a little more to do in, in season two. Is he a director? No, he's not, because George Mason's director. He, he fills in well, for George Mason. George fills in for once George Mason's gone, George. yes. Correct, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a kind of a... There's the consistency of 24... One of the consistencies of 24 is that CTU directors are often dicks. And um, I also feel like the director of CTU position is kind of like getting the job as a Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. Yeah. Yes. You can't like, you're starting out... Very long. <laughs> if you start out... If you're in episode one as the head of CTU, you you probably only got six episodes left as the head of CTU. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to the many more of those in later seasons. Um, there's also... Because um, we haven't talked about Tony all that much, um, but he's certainly not a mole this season either um but he does start to get into a relationship with uh michelle michelle desler's character uh rake rako aylesworth aylesworth yes rico uh, aylesworth rico aylesworth alien yes. versus predator requiems rico people aylesworth. don't use her enough yes <laughs> she's wonderful she's a terrific actress you know she's beautiful she's great i love michelle too there's great character and uh, there's certainly a strong chemistry between uh, the uh, michelle and tony characters which you know starts in this season and carries on into the future uh, with, is this the season where she has something with her brother? Um, and then there's like an explosion at CTU and Melissa is, Gilbert dies? There is an explosion at CTU. That does happen. The first time CTU's been attacked. Yeah. Um, I forget who the moles were in this season, but I'm sure there were three. Hey, uh-huh. it's, it's funny when you talk about seasons of 24 like this and you realize how many elements... There's tropes. Are, there's are, there's there beats you got to hit every season. There's, there's got to be a couple moles. There's got to be some kind of diversive attack that takes place. There has to be a changing of power. Jack yep. Bauer has to, of course, go through certain <laughs> limited, certain go cross certain lines to get certain things done. Aaron Pierce has to show Aaron up. Aaron Pierce has to show does. up, of course, yes. Um, let's start three episodes this season. Let me, uh, let me, before we move on to season three, let me address real quick, uh, the end of the season. Massive cliffhanger. Massive cliffhanger because, uh, President Palmer is attacked through handshake, um, by Mia Kirshner's character who was in a major part of, uh, season one. She plays kind of early, early on, early on. Yeah. She plays this kind of assassin character. Mandy. Mandy. And she only shows up at the very end of season two, where she delivers this deadly handshake to, season, to President Palmer, who, of course, goes into like some kind of crazy coma, and then the 24 video game recaps the events that take place in between uh, season two and three, where that is uh, where that is dealt with more. But regardless, Mia Kirshner, there, something about her in season one, there was... See, season one was like weirdly, not like compromised, but it was certainly changed, wasn't it, because of... Because it got picked up for more episodes. It got picked up, but also twenty four was supposed to begin like earlier than it actually did, if I recall, right? Yeah, it they was... didn't they didn't change any anything. They just aired it later because it, it was supposed to like air like the week or week after nine eleven. And then the and, opening the first... of the season, like there, a plane blows up. Essentially. Yeah, plane, yeah, she it blows up a plane. Um, it's out. But I, I'm from what I know, they did not change anything. They, okay, they that's... kept their integrity. All right, I think there's there's always something. I guess it might just be due to my like age at the time versus how interested I was in other plots that weren't involving the core kidnapping plot. But I always thought there was something disinteresting about this kind of like, oh, there's an assassin character on the side that like I, I didn't pick up on until I rewatched the season in various forms later on. But yeah, I like, like how they never made her a big focus. Yeah, pop up here and there, but but yeah, the, uh, there's certainly a character and she'll come back in season four, so we'll get to her again later. Should on. we also um, the silent clock and then. Because season one ended on a silent clock when Terry died, mm-hmm. and then season season two ended with Palmer's heartbeat. 
oh. as the clock ticks. They yeah. used the silent clock and a couple other times. George George Mason got the silent clock, and I think that that was it for season two. Yeah. I'm sure there's some kind of aggregator on different on a website that has all the silent clocks going. But yeah, yeah. that is certainly yeah. obviously for people. I assume people watch 24, but for those like uninitiated, obviously the 24 has this. It opens and closes and has commercial breaks that feature the clock like counting down and you hear the noise beep boop beep boop. And of course, when there's deaths of a character that occur in different episodes, sometimes the clock just does not have a sound effect to kind of heighten the emotional resonance of a character being lost or something traumatic happening it wasn't always like favorite characters either either that got it yeah it's more of focused on the context of the event i would say I guess. Yeah. yeah so let's move on let's uh let's move on now to season three um jack on drugs i like this season i, I like this season a lot more than most i think it, it um it has two stories that are pretty good but it has a little rough patch of, of attaching them together yeah for sure but uh, i think it's a really strong character-based season to quickly recap again, I've only watched the season once. You guys? Like three or four times. <laughs> Probably three I've times. Seen, I've seen it twice. This is where Jack is. Is he... When this season begins, is Jack are under, undercover already, or is he coming we back? We don't know it yet. There's a, there's a virus um, that apparently is going around, and they think that this kid who's s- selling drugs is a carrier for it, and that's like a whole... That's a big ruse. And Jack is, breaks out some... Uh, Mexican is he cartel probably guy from from prison and escorts him back to Mexico to his brother. That's right. Okay. Because they're going to be involved in a bigger deal or something like that with that virus. But Jack has worked his way because he was before the season started. He was undercover um, infiltrating them and arrested this guy and in the term became addicted on heroin to prove himself and he's still having trouble kicking it at the beginning of the right. season. So he's major- gap of time in between season two and three like three years so a lot yeah. that we don't see yeah, yeah. okay and uh, yeah so yeah jack has a heroin addiction that's a big thing and he also has a partner chase edmonds chase and edmonds played by um, james badge dale who's yeah. become quite the character Box actor. king of last summer yeah he was he was in what <laughs> iron man 3 lone ranger world war z like i thought he was fine but not particularly interesting but now I find him to be such an interesting and charismatic actor. Completely agree. I think yeah. it comes just from, you know, kind of age. I think it was just... Like, I, I think of his one scene um, in the movie Flight. He plays a, a hospital patient in the stairwell. Um, and he brings so much unique presence to that that I didn't never would have thought he was capable of based on this. I think that his scene in that movie ended my uh, where I stopped liking or when when I stopped liking Flight because everything after that I was not a big fan of. But leading up to that, I was uh, I was all into the movie. It's like yeah, he's turned, he's got to roll it. And then, uh, awesome in Iron there. Man three. Yeah, he was awesome in Iron Man three. He's he's, a, he's he has a redeeming character in a Lone Ranger that I enjoyed. Yeah, uh, I, I like Lone Ranger, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the producers did not like him though on twenty four. Really. Yes, they tried to kill him many times throughout the season, and he wound up living through the end. But if you'll notice, he he never came back. Um, Does he lose an arm? He does, Jack. Yeah, he, he does lose an arm. Jack Bauer is forced to cut off his arm because it like there's a handcuff with the bomb strapped, like yeah, the bomb of like a virus bomb strapped to it, and there's no time, of course, so Jack Bauer is to cut off his hand. And, yes. Uh, put the bomb. Was, and he never came back. I, I wouldn't mind to see him come back. I wouldn't mind to see him come back now. Maybe it'll be a surprise. Uh, yeah. Well, he he was supposed to die in Mexico when Jack was like when they wanted him to prove himself, and it ended up 
when he pulled the trigger, it was uh, it was empty. He was supposed to die there, but the script leaked to the internet and they changed it. And there was uh, actually apparently a couple other times that he was supposed to die as well, but they kept leaking and they they wanted to keep people on their toes, so they would change it. And he wound up making it through the whole thing, but they they wanted him dead. And apparently it's because they didn't like James Badgedale. Yeah, well, speaking of the character of Chase, he was also dating Kim uh, Bauer. Yep. And Who was working at CTU? Yes, of course. Kim's usage in this season was much smarter than in season two because she is working at CTU. Granted, you have to accept that she would work for CTU, but beyond yes. that, yeah, like it, it, you know, it worked out. Well, there's all you know, suspension of disbelief aside, at least it puts her in the action. For sure, yes. You know, you don't have to go off and follow her unrelated adventures. You also get Zachary Quinto working at CTU as well. Indeed. And, of course, we Chloe meet... O'Brien. Chloe O'Brien. Chloe O'Brien. Who, while the relationship certainly evolves and she becomes the more one of the more dependable figures on this series, Jack and Chloe did not get along in this first season very much. I no. think you could say that Chloe and nobody got along in this season. Uh-huh. Yeah, she had a... A personality issue, we'll say? Yes. It was because people weren't used to her yet. And right, I mean, neither was the audience. No, and I I always thought she was interesting, but certainly as time went on, you 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 know grow to love Chloe more and more. It's because you just you, you know that she if there's a if there's always going to be a mole in a season of twenty four, it's not going to be Chloe. That's one way. Right. <laughs> there's, so, there's someone to think about for her. There's someone someone to care about, regardless of her her very specific personality type. I mean, she yeah. Chloe, you trust Chloe to be Chloe. That's for sure. Yep. This season um, also introduces us to President Palmer's younger brother, Wayne, played yep. by D.B. Woodside, also um, of Buffy the Buffy Vampire fame. Slayer fame. Um, I, I liked him on Buffy, and I was happy to see him here. I think he's a solid actor, and I think he was well cast as the brother of Palmer. You can certainly see a, almost a kind of JFK, RFK thing between the two of them. That Definitely. Of yes. Definitely. And um, we mentioned Zachary Quinto, and... Um, after having minor appearances in season one and two, Ryan Chappelle, played by Paul Schultz, has quite a big role in this season. Yes, he yeah. does, and it leads to an unfo- it has an unfortunate end because while he becomes maybe more likable, he's also it's all it's like I, I don't think he's likable until his his demise, and you're really like well, even you know, that you're more you're certainly more used to this character acting the way he does. I guess is a better way to put it. Maybe and well, at this point, if if this show aired now, um, it probably wouldn't be a huge surprise what happens to him. But at the time that this happened on 24, when Jack ultimately has to shoot Ryan Chappelle, it, you, you're sitting there like, there's no way. There's no way. And then when it happens, it was just a huge shock. And then you go, tune in next week. And the thing about it is it, the the way it goes down is what makes it fairly interesting. Because it, basically Jack and Cope Company are trying to you know stop the stop the terrorists or whatever. And... The idea is that they give they give CTU kind of a, distri- a diversion in the form of why don't we like stage this thing where we need Chappelle to die in order to keep this thing happening? Yes, to kind of throw them off from you know doing what they need to do, and they just can't find a way around it, and they're forced to they're forced to kill Chappelle, which is a it's really sad. <laughs> it's very yeah, sad. It, it's the only usage of the aforementioned silent clock in season yes. three. Yeah. And we also, season uh, three also has that character of Gael, who's only in this season. He's a, 
uh, the CTU guy that is undercover, like you think he's a villain at first, but he's actually undercover with Jack, and then he ends up um, getting infected with the virus during the excellent stretch of the hotel sequence. Yeah, that I, that's that's I, probably I, one of the strongest moments ever in Twenty Four is the episodes revolving around the hotel. Completely agree. Well, one exp- honestly, I don't like remember the mob hand. <laughs> like you got to. There, there was a, a hotel where the the virus got put off, and they right. Michelle was there. And, yeah, Michelle was in it. And Gael was inside, and they had to keep everybody inside the hotel, but not let them know what was going on. And, like, I think Michelle had to shoot somebody to prevent them from going outside. Yep. Okay, and yeah, actually, you know what? This is... This is it was just very well-conceived, like a... It was it suspenseful, was, right, dramatic. Kind of it was a side incredible. story, but it, you know, because, you know, Jack wasn't that involved, but it was part of the terrorist plot, and it was, like Brandon was saying, really dramatic and... And suspenseful and, and kind of uh, sad. Yeah, there's people dying, like nosebleeds, family. People have to call their families to you know say goodbye, and it just it was incredibly depressing stuff. And meanwhile, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people dying, but you're really worried about Michelle because it's Tony's girl, and they're married now, and right, and their relationship is is likable and, and quite strong at this point. And at the end of this, aren't they? They're forced to. Are they, are they forced to do to uh, to like basically commit treason in order to kind Tony of... commit Tony commits treason to save Michelle because she ends up getting kidnapped after she gets mm, cleared to leave the hotel. There you go. Okay. And Tony commits treason in order to free her. Yeah, which is which has ramifications in future seasons. Um, which what, what did you guys think of the the villain, the big bad of season three? Like was... I thought. It, it's okay. Who was the villain? Was it was it a Steven Sanders? He was like an he was one of a, a Jack's former teammates on Project Nightfall that he thought was killed in Project there, Nightfall. There we go. He, okay. The the Project Nightfall from season one that captured um, Dennis Hopper's character and killed a lot of Dennis Hopper's family, but apparently Saunders was left for dead there. And now he Saunders is it. interesting. The actor um, Paul Blackthorne, Paul Blackthorne, who's now yeah. stars on Arrow, is. An interesting actor, but I think he's better at a good guy than a bad guy role. But yeah, he be someone again so connected to Jack, as opposed to an outside force. An outside force, because even in season one, although it's revealed to be Nina throughout the run of the episodes, you see the villains as as you know the uh, Dennis Hopper and his family. I remember the Salazars playing it. I guess they're a bigger role in the first half of the season, right? Yeah, they're the first half of the season. Because you have Joaquin Delmeda, who I know from Desperado, among other, and uh, Clear and President, among other things. And, you know, it seems like, oh, okay, that's a a solid villain. And then you get this other guy who's like, well, I guess he's connected to Jack, but he didn't have that same kind of impact necessarily. Yeah, whoever whoever you start out with with the villains in 24, ultimately, just like the director's CTU, will not be the villain by the end, except for one season. Unless you're Marwan. Unless you're Mar One, but we'll yeah we'll, we'll get talk to that about next next time. <laughs> yeah, we will because yeah the yeah. the series has a way of evolving because you know you're obviously expecting certain things in the way the show's structured and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, Just Jack to... ends up killing Nina here. Well, too. Well, I was gonna get to that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Quick, <laughs> quick second, quick second, because I wanted to say we also introduced um, Jeff Pearson's character, and this season he's just Senator John Keeler, but you will certainly see more of him yes. in future seasons. And, yeah, uh, one thing I like, I like, always liked about the show, and you know, other shows do this too, do this too, of course, but. As the show evolved, and you 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 met more people who work at CTU, and also more people involved in 
DC and, and the political aspect of the show, they would k- come back in later seasons in higher positions of power and, and become more involved. It kept a good continuity of people who were once, you know, small roles becoming bigger players down the line, and it always cast those roles well, so when, that when they were given more to do later on, they were able to handle it. For sure. Yeah, Such as Jeff Pearson, who's a, you know, a great television character actor. He's been in, you know, hundreds of TV shows. And all right, so yeah, that. Oh, no problem. With that said, I guess we can just kind of wrap this up yeah, with they, Nina because this was the Nina trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they clean up a lot. Of the, I mean, um, as we mentioned uh, before, um, Chappelle gets it in this season. Sherry Palmer ends up getting killed in this season, and Nina Myers ends up getting killed in this season. Some some long long time characters in this first three seasons kind of essentially end what is like the an, an initial arc of this of the series, which may or may not have been like intended at the time, but certainly works as a way to kind of define this series in in parts, which is what we're trying to do. Um, but yeah, Nina's you know she's involved in um, in the events going down with mainly with the, with the Salazars, right? Um, yes, yes, she ends up being the one to meet them in Mexico to. To do the trade-off, and of course she can't be trusted. Um, she is, a, and I guess the previous season we didn't mention Nina very much, but she she was she got a pardon, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. she got a pardon in season two. That's another trope of the series, by the way. Presidential par- pardons all the time. They're just Diamond they got, doesn't. They got a they got a they got a, a template. Print them out. <laughs> get them go. Get the, get the pardons out there. But uh, yeah, she got pardoned last season, but she's you know back this season, and uh, eventually she gets captured, taken to CTU, and tries to escape. But Jack catches her, and he basically cold-blooded murders her. That's yeah. <laughs> not not much room for uh, interpretation there. He just flat out shoots her to get revenge for the death of his wife. Well, because she's Wait, threatening she, Kim I, too. I, I that thought. yeah, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, she was you know a threat. <laughs> no due process involved with her death. Well, it's not like he's walking down the street, sees her in line buying magazines, and shoots her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is cold blood. <laughs> that makes that make an interesting season twenty-four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nina Myers, Us Weekly or People? Bang. But it does, it does, um, you know, sort of close out that thread, um, and then allows season four to Start reboot, fresher soft terms. reboot. Yeah. It did feel definitely feel like a, a reboot. Yeah, which makes sense. Wasn't it? Was correct me if I'm wrong, but was it the first season that started in January instead yes. of? Yeah. Yes. And it, and what we have, yeah, it's the first one to do the the two night four hour premiere was season four. But like, I think we have to think up to this point. Which a show a lot of people, you know, TV lovers hate on, but um, American Idol responsible for kind of keeping 24 alive, because that once they started pairing 24 after, I think it was season two or three, maybe they started putting 24 after American Idol, and the ratings started spiking up, huh. and to where to where it could be left to go on its own. Same can be said for shows like House and Bones and like a bunch of other Fox shows were kept alive. Thanks to twenty, thanks to American Idol, because I remember, I remember Bones was a show where I watched the first episode. I was like, "Oh, this won't last," and then you know it's still on ten years later. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't really think about that before. Yeah, because a lot, you know, I'll never completely hate American Idol because it kept something like Twenty Four alive because of its ratings and and you know bleeding the audience bleeding over into it. Well, now American Idol is breaching. I think kind of the end of its life. And now 24 is starting again, so... <laughs> Interesting. 
But yeah, it's funny you mentioned the kind of seasons that start in January with those kind of four out two night premiere events because I that was a those. I those do are, yeah yeah those are great those, those are always like action packed and full of surprises and almost anything especially in college man oh those, yeah yeah I well, was the best with that said though it was because you know you have these first seasons of, first couple seasons of twenty four where the seasons you know they're divided up you have gaps in between based on sporting events holidays and whatnot. With the kind of structure they started with, with that kind of uh, full-on you know January season, you can just go end to end. There's like I don't think there are any breaks. Granted, nope. maybe a there week or something. There may have been like a week in a, in the middle, but like you wouldn't have to be like, when's twenty four coming back again, and It'd then miss be, it. It just be yeah. on, yeah. So and like, people yeah. weren't as TV savvy with knowing when their shows were on too back then. Well, and, and you know DVRs that came with your cable boxes weren't. Prominent, you know, yeah. Either yeah. people still had TiVo at the time where you had to pay an additional monthly charge. I had a VCR. I was taping yeah. episodes at some point just because I'd be missing it from a, like a class or something. So I'd come back and like have to watch it later on on tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was... Freshman year of college, I had nothing. So I had to, uh, you know, figure out how to watch it. You know, if hope a friend had it or find it online somewhere. Because even like stuff like Hulu wasn't quite around, you know. No. Well, for me, but yeah, for me, when I was in college and it was airing, there was no Hulu or or anything like that or iTunes movies and stuff. And um, so I guess last thing for season three, where is Jack at this point? I believe he starts having he just basically breaking. He starts breaking down. Right. Like, he's he, kind he, of like he talks to Sarah Winter on the phone at the end. He yeah. Call for, he, yeah. He calls. He, call, he talks to her and then he like has a breakdown in the car. Because it's just tough. <laughs> it's tough yeah. being Jack Bauer. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think we've uh, I think we've done a good job of covering the first three seasons with our scattered memories and <laughs> de- devotion enough to the character to try and keep this going. And, but uh, even, it's yeah. fun for me to talk about them because I haven't watched some of them for a while. So it's getting me, you know, it's simultaneously working as the first episodes of our show, but getting me excited again about and jazzed about twenty four. For sure, I'm I'm super. Oh I mean, yeah, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we weren't looking forward to twenty four, let alone twenty four. You know, yeah. at, at times stuff like this kind of seems, you know, where I'm like, ah, oh, seems kind of desperate. But for twenty four, for some reason, I'm pumped. Because I mean, there really wasn't closure. We'll get to that. Yeah. I mean, there was like a, a sense of like, oh, that's over. But like. I'd like to see more of what Jack Bauer's been up to since we last saw him. You know, yeah, fleeing, I think it's changing up the episode country. format and mm-hmm. and all that is stuff. That, I mean, like, there's new excitement. They have they've had a break. They can write about new stuff. They can, you know, for sure. And I mean, it's not like Kiefer Sutherland. I think he's this really strong actor. I think he's done a great job with Jack Bauer. I certainly wasn't worn out on what he has to offer as a character, or at least what he has to offer as an actor portraying this character. So, I mean, it's it's, it's going to be great to see him back and Jack back in action well, for another Jack Bauer Power Hour. And I think it doesn't feel desperate also because in between the period where the series ended and now, people involved, including the showrunners and directors and Kiefer himself, have all talked about reviving it in some way. So the passion from the artists was there, whereas something like uh, the recently announced Return of Heroes, no one was yeah. talking about that. And it mm-hmm. seems like a desperate ploy to yeah. play on a brand that exists. Yeah, I never felt like there was always talk about 24 the movie just because people had interest in seeing a 24 movie. Obviously, that didn't happen for various reasons, but it's not like the the conversation about the series hasn't 
died down to a point of like, man, good thing 24 is over. Wait, it's coming back? That's weird. Like, it's just more of like, oh, finally, we get to see this thing come to fruition. Very true. Anything else to add before we wrap up the first inaugural episode of 24, the Jack and Chloe Adventure Cast? No, I think not until next time. Okay, good. Then, uh, that is... I have a whole thing written. What do I do? I've just, I tried and got this ready. We are now nearing the end of our transmission for this week. Uh, feel free to email us at uh, jcadventurecast.gmail.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter and at Facebook, facebook.com and twitter.com slash jcadventurecast. Um, and be sure to also check out hhwlod.com. That is the site where you can find this show, along with all the other fine shows, including the one that Brandon Maxwell and I also host called the Icapod Cranecast, which is not new for now. We'll, uh, we'll get back to that soon enough once the show returns. But, um, of course, there's Out Now with Aaron Abe, which I host with my friend Abe. There's the Walking Dead TV podcast, which just wrapped up its kind of most new episodes because the season's kind of ended for now. And other shows about comics and games and fun stuff like that. Uh, Brandon, where can people find more of your work? You can find my work at whysoblue.com and the Naptown Nerd, which is naptownnerd.blogspot.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at btpeters. Maxwell? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell. You can see some of my work at Cinemaxwell.com, and I also occasionally write for theyoungfolks.com. And you can find me at thecodezeek.com. That is where I write my weekly film reviews, among other things. Whysoblue.com, and follow me at Twitter, twitter.com slash ps 4 And yeah, that is going to do it for this first episode of 24 the jack and chloe adventure cast i'm really excited about this This it's a lot of fun i love talking with you guys about (laughs) these kind of things and um let's uh, let's start this up now which we'll do each week here's a fun fact let me throw it to brandon brandon you want to read a a fun fact for us the city of los angeles once named a street after jack bauer in gratitude for his saving the city several times they had to rename it after people kept dying when they tried to cross the street No one crosses Jack Bauer and lives. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, and good night.